Thanks for joining us at Summit Church. No matter where you are at on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are excited to share God's word with you through this week's message. Some of you here, you're just coming into a brand new relationship and everything's fresh. And, uh, and I think this will be good for you to hear. Uh, some of you perhaps um, are in a relationship, perhaps even married, and I think this will be good for you to hear. Some of you um, are out of a relationship and don't want to have anything ever to do again with another person, and I think this will be good for you to hear. <laughs> Come on. So I think there's something in all this for everybody, and so I just want you to, uh, for some maybe it's a refresher, for others it'll be something brand new, but I do believe we can all glean a little bit from God's Word. Um, just kind of as a way of um, opening up the, our little conversation here, um, we were talking last week uh, out of the book of Song of Solomon, and it was a passage in the book of Song of Solomon chapter 5 of actually a little, little situation that took place with Solomon and his wife. And um, basically what happened was he had been working hard all day and uh, came in, and he was, it was nighttime, evening time, it was dew all over him, and he's tired, no doubt, and he came knocking on the door, hello, sweetheart, uh, in her bedchamber, she was in, in her bedroom, and uh, in those days, the men slept in one place, and the women slept in the other, if, if you had wealth, and, and uh, so he knocks on the door, and the door is locked, and um, she's, she says, hey, look, honey, I'm in bed, I took a shower, I'm all good. I don't want to get up again. I'm in my favorite position here. I'm about to fall asleep. Um, sorry, not tonight. Come on, somebody. And, and uh, basically, you know, I got a headache. Don't feel good. You know the story. And, uh, and so, uh, so the Bible goes on and talks, tells us that um, he did something very classy, something very ironic. He basically took a bunch of myrrh uh, which is a very sweet-smelling perfume, and doused it all over his hand and reached in through the hole of the door. They had holes in the doors there. And he, and he began to rub and just lavish all of this myrrh on the door handle on the inside of her door. And then he left, quietly left. And so we talked about that and asked ourselves, how can we look at that? And what does that tell us and teach us about how to handle conflict? We have five points. We made four. Let me give you four of those points that we re, as a review, and then we'll get to the fifth one, and then I want to share a little bit something else as well, and we'll go home. So number one, we talked about handling conflict. It's important that we, react, we respond and not react. It's important to respond and not react. In other words, you have an opportunity at many times in our lives, in many given situations and relationships, to really kind of get the hair up on the back of your neck. And that's what we would say, where I come from, to get a little aggravated, get a little upset, to get a little um, angry. Um, but that's reacting. But he chose to not do that, but to what? To respond. He responds. He responds respond actually out of love. Which brings us to number two. We talked about it's important. There's conflict in a relationship. To refuse to take the bait. What is the bait? The bait is an offense. So easy, isn't it, to get offended? It doesn't take very much. It could be a word spoken to you in a bad tone. 
It could be being ignored. It could be um, asking someone a question and they're not responding. It could be um, someone being late coming home and when they said they would be, but they didn't come home. With it. It's all sorts of offenses. And one of the definitions of the word offense is the word bait. It's almost like the enemy comes constantly and gives you baits to take. And if you do take the bait, eventually, probably, you're going to be trapped. So it's important not to take the bait of offense. Thirdly, we learned that it's important to lay aside expectations. Many times the conflict is really originating in the sense of expectations that you had built into that relationship that the other person didn't even know about. You're expecting things or for them to do things that they don't even know uh, that, uh, that you were supposed to do. And it leads to hurt feelings and bad words. And number four, we talked about that we need to leave the justice getting even in the hands of God. Let God deal with the individual. I promise you, God will do a lot better job than you'll ever do of causing the other person that offended you and hurt you to perhaps regret or feel sorry or, you know, come to a place where they're sorry or asking for forgiveness than you'll ever do trying to get them to, you know, say uncle. So which leads us today. Number five, in your notes, you can write this down. When you're having conflict, remember that conflict is God's way to prove your love. It's God's way to prove your love. How will someone ever know that you truly love them and to the depth of your love if there's never a conflict or a reason for them, a reason for perhaps you to love them in spite of what they did to you or vice versa? I truly believe that conflict is a way for people to see the depth of your love for them. If there was never conflict, how would they see and be able to measure the depth of our love? If we were never a sinner, how would we ever understand the depth of God's love for us if we were just always good? But because we've been so um, deep, uh, steeped in our sins, and God has come and forgiven and shown us love, and now we see the depth of his love for us. Last week in the service, we talked about a little bit, I touched on um, how the Bible tells us when someone has offended us or hurt us, that we should turn the other cheek. How many remember hearing that? Or perhaps we should, um, if they ask for a shirt, give them our shirt and our coat. Or, or, and when we do things like that, when we show someone kindness that perhaps you know, has done us an injustice, the Bible says it's like heaping coals of fire on their head. Well, we like listening to that and hearing that. That's like cool. We get to set them on fire. All I got to do is be nice to them and they're on fire. But I think it really means more than that. In those days, and, and I'm going to refer, because some of you weren't here uh, to hear this, but in those days, fire was everything. You had to have fire to cool, uh, to light up your house. You had to have fire to uh, cook your food. You had to have fire to stay warm. So if you had little fire, no fire in your home, you were kind of like in a house without electricity or running water. It was very important that you had burning coals. Well, because of neglect from time to time, someone, some people would allow their coals to go out. And now there's no way to get anything done in the home. The Bible refers to a person that has offended someone else. And now this person that's offended this person is in need themselves. And so they go in need of coals, of fire, for their home 
And so they go to this person that they've offended, the person that they've hurt. And what does this person that they hurt do? Instead of saying, are you kidding me? No, this is what you get. I hope you sleep good tonight in your cold house. No, they say, hey, absolutely. And they get a bowl, a big, big pan, and they take their burning hot coals, and they give them their hot coals. The person puts them in their, on top of their head, and they go back home. That's what that refers to. When you show someone kindness that perhaps doesn't deserve kindness, you're, it, you, you are basically giving them an opportunity to exist and, and, con, and continue living life. And men, what do you think this person that had been mean to this person here, and now he's on his way home being given a gift when he knows he didn't deserve the gift, what do you think is going on in his mind? And when he's experiencing the warmth of their home, what do you think they're going, is going on in their heart? They're thankful and they're grateful that they have a friend that forgives them past their faults. So when you, when you forgive someone past their faults, you're proving to them the depth of your love. And so, what it, and so this is what happened to Solomon's wife. When he responded with such incredible, you know, mercy and grace by lavishing her inside handles of the door with this myrrh, she rose, chapter 5, verse 5, and opened to the beloved and says, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. I, oh, whoa, oh my goodness. Oh, honey. And she opens the door and he's not there. He's gone. He's not there at all. And what is ha what happens now inside of her? If you read on, you see that she falls in love with her husband all over again. I mean, she she had given him, you know, the, the the this, and now just a matter of moments, she puts her hand on the handle. God had kind of convicted her. She puts her hand on the handle. She goes, "Oh my goodness." He treated my rejection with kindness. Look at this. Oh, my. And oh, and she falls in love with him over and over again. And even begins to talk about her new love for him. Her heart has changed. And she begins to describe this, her husband in, in an incredible way. And she says in chapter 5, verse 9 through 16, she goes, oh, my goodness. My honey, my, my love, my, my darling. She says, you are so radiant and ruddy and outstanding among 10,000. Oh, his head, she's talking about her husband. His head is pure as gold. His hair wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted in jewels. All the guys are like, what the ladies, you get, you get it. You're like... That's good stuff right there. That's literature right there. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies. Come on. How many guys have ever had your wife say, your lips look like lilies? I, no, I don't think so. But his lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are like rods of gold set with topaz. Come on. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. I have no idea. Sounds like an Italian dish. His legs are... <laughs> His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. This is my beloved, my friend. Oh, I love him. Jesus, ah! <laughs> and she had just rejected him a few minutes before. I'm too tired, too tired. Ugh, go away, go away, another time, another night. I, I got to get up early. 
And so he goes away, leaves a little love note on the handle, and she gets convicted by the Holy Spirit. And once she touches that handle, she realizes what a what a jerk she had been. Come on, she she made a mistake. She and 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 suddenly her love was awakened again. Can I just say this to you this morning? I don't care how bad you think things are, you can always resurrect the love inside somebody else. I'm telling you, it is always possible to resurrect someone's love. Even our own relationship with God, God says to us, you know, to go back and do your first works over and cause this love that has grown cold and dim to become on fire again. You can actually stir someone's heart of love for you by doing what? By showing them acts of kindness and giving them things that perhaps they don't deserve in the way that they're treating you. You can resurrect love. Well, I think we should give God some praise for that just itself. Come on, you can resurrect love. My Lord. And so he's demonstrating how a real man really handles conflict. He he doesn't like, well, phew, then fine. I'll go find me another woman. She, there's a lot of women out there that treat me better than you treat me. I, I'll tell you what, I love, a lot of people give anything to have what I've given you. Come, come on, guys, you know what I'm talking about. It's easy for us to go there and start naming all the things that they should be grateful for about us. But he goes, no, I'll just put some myrrh and some perfumes, and I'm just going to go back to the fields, and I'm going to go work with the herd. And you know what? It seems, it implies, as you read this passage, that he goes back to the field, and no one has a clue that he, he was just rejected by his spouse. Now, some of the guys, no, no, you're going to go back to the shop, you go to the bowling alley, you go, and you go, well, I'll tell you what, my wife, she's a blah, 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 blah. And you just and your 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 other guy friends like yeah she is yeah you she don't and my wife and then yeah, and man, and his wife and her wife blah, blah, come, or her wife she don't have anyway his <laughs> and you don't come, I mean you start talking and next thing you know everyone's like yeah everybody's wives are like crazy everyone's spouses are nuts and and, and but no he goes back to the workspace his work he goes back to his cubicle back to his computer whatever he sits down there and someone goes hey how you doing good man good how's the wife how's the kids oh awesome doing good doing good doing good thanks for asking no one has a clue that she just rejected him hello Conflict proves our love for one another. Thank you. And, and the prayer I really should pray, and we should all pray, is God, thank you for the opportunities of conflict that give us the opportunity to in turn show them what your love looks like. Mm. You can say amen, it's okay. Amen. <laughs> So what do I do when the opportunity of picking up an offense lies at my door? I want to give you quickly a few things that I believe are important for you to know. It's called the art of forgiveness. The art of forgiveness. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, said this one time. She said, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Oh, it's not a bad matter of when someone's going to hurt you. I mean, if someone's going to hurt you. It's just a matter of when. 
And mostly, the person that hurts us the most is the person we're closest to. So let's talk about the art of forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness is based upon commitment. Everybody say commitment. <laughs> she says, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. So there was a, talking about marriages here, there was probably a day where you sat and you said, this particular day we're going to get married. And so you call your friends together, you get a uh, pastor to come, and, and so all these people, your friends gather around, and you're at this place that you've selected, and everyone's dressed up, and, and we call that a wedding. And there at that wedding, um, words are made. And more than just words, promises are made to one another. We would call that later a covenant. You're making a covenant. You're making promises to one another. Witnesses hear it. You go on a honeymoon. You have some moments of intimacy. And you consummate the marriage and you two become one. And at that point, you are bound together. Now, I will tell you, we call that period, right after that, the honeymoon period. And most people that have been married for a while look at a honeymoon couple, a newlywed couple, and go, oh, it's just a matter of time. <laughs> Everything's going to hit the fan. I can't wait to see that. And, but, but yet we rejoice with them because we remember those, those few weeks when, or some maybe a few hours, I don't know when you had a honeymoon period yourself. But there came a point, at some point, where he looked at you wrong or she said something rude or something happened and, and suddenly you had a little of this going on and you got hurt. Well, you know, let me just say, we're always going to experience hurt and pain. I was throwing, I was playing, I was younger in my early 20s and we had this game that we would play um, before ball games called, um, um, I can't even remember the name of it. Anyway, we had played this game where uh, we would ha throw it as hard as we could to the other person, uh, burnout or something like that. And, and, and whoever threw it so hard that the other person's hand hurt and was bruised, they would throw their glove off and they go, well, you win. And so, you know, you, you won the little game that you played because you could throw it harder and hurt the other person. And I remember playing this game with stupid me with a professional baseball player for some crazy reason. And, um, and he hurt my hand and I tore a rotator cuff in my arm trying to throw it so hard. And I will tell you, when I went home and I could barely even hold my arm up, I did not go to the doctor the next day and go, hey, doc, my arm's hurting. Would you mind cutting it off? That would have been ridiculous. How many here have ever stubbed your toe? And you stub your toe, you're hopping around, and you finally land in a chair, and you go, I'm going to cut my foot off. It hurts. <laughs> no, you, you, you hurt, you have pain, but we all realize that's part of life. And in relationships, there will be moments where you have pain and the other person hurts you intentionally, unintentionally, or you hurt them the same. And because of that, you don't throw in the towel and say, you know what? Uh, you know what? It's just a bad situation. You hurt me. I don't want to be hurt. I'm out. You're out. Whatever. No, it's called a promise. It's called a covenant. 
I don't expect everyone to shout me down. <laughs> but it is true. And sometimes we don't want to hear these things. But I like what Thornton Wilder said. He said it like this. Talking to his wife, he says, I didn't marry you because you were perfect. And I didn't even marry you because I loved you. He says, I married you because you gave me a promise. And that promise is made up for all of your faults. And that promise I gave you has made up for all of my faults. Two imperfect people, we got married, and it was the promise that made the marriage. And when our children were going, growing up, it wasn't a house that protected them, and it wasn't even our love that protected them. It was our promise. The power of a promise, of a covenant. Some will say, well, you, you don't know my spouse. If you knew my spouse, you would understand that it's hard to love <laughs> this person or that person. And so, it's important to understand, I totally lost my train of thought, <laughs> that, let me just read my notes here. First, I'm just going to move. The first thing Jesus did, I had a good point, it'll come back. The first thing that Jesus did, as far as begin his ministry, guess what, was he went to a wedding and his first miracle was at a wedding. It was at a marriage ceremony. It was where two people were making a promise that, you know, things may be good and things may be bad, but we're making a covenant together that we're in this for the long haul. And it's almost as if God was like wanting everyone to understand from that point to this point, I honor and respect and love marriage. And I want people to know, no matter how bad or difficult the circumstances are in the marriage, that it, there's always another entity involved. And if you will look to me, if you will cry out to me, if you will hunger and thirst after me, I will make you not only a better person, but I will also create in you the heart of myself where you can now go to this person and they can see me in you and then everything begins to change. Amen. Oh, come on now. Listen. Listen, here's the beautiful thing. One of the people we were talking, and, and, and she shared this truth with me that's so powerful, and it is this thought that we are made in the image of God. And when, that, when you think of, I was made in the image of God, what do you think? You think of a lot of things, but one of the things that comes with that thought is that God is a, a miracle worker, and God is a creator of things that aren't, that become something, simply because he speaks them into existence. It, it may not exist but he speaks it, and it becomes an existence. He's a creator. And guess what? You have the same power because you were made in his image to be able to declare those things that are not as though they are, and that man may be a bad guy right now, but you start speaking the word of God into his life and what you believe God has made him to be, and eventually he'll become the person you prayed for him to be because you've created it with your mouth. 
I was speaking with a lady just this last service, and we were praying, and, uh, and she was just sharing her heart, and she's like, you know, I, I, I just, I'm married, but I, you know, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not sure I even like this guy, I'm not sure I even love this guy, I don't, I, you know, and I don't even, you know, and she just broke her heart, but I was just, but I said, sweetheart, listen, here's the deal, when you, when you think of your husband, you've got to begin to think of him in the way God sees him. And you need to speak into existence what you want to see God do in him. And so you create, come on, the man you want you, yourself to be married to. So I said, let's just do this. And so I said, just agree with me, and I'm going to pray. And so I said, Father God, give my sister a heart to be able to see the kindness in her husband. Oh, God, help her to begin to see a man worshiping and loving God with his hands lifted up. Oh God, cause her to begin to see the love and the joy that he has and that he carries. And all these things I know probably was not happening at the moment, but guess what? It will never happen if you don't speak it into the atmosphere. And she's like, well, that all sounds good, but I'm not sure I even want that. <laughs> at least he was honest. Right, so how about this? Let's step back a little bit. And let's just pray and ask God to give you a desire to have this in your life that he desires you to have. Moves us to number two. Forgiveness is based upon kindness. Forgiveness is based upon kindness. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He who feeds his flock among the lilies, she says about him. She says he's so kind. She's just rejected him, and now she sees how kind he is. You'll never see how kind someone is until they show you a side of God and love that you don't deserve. In fact, the word kindness comes from the word kin, like kinfolk. I think there's a reason for that, because usually the way you are around your kinfolk, your immediate family especially, is the way you really are. If we were to sneak into your house and see how you talk to your kids and your spouse, even your dog. I wonder if it would be different than what we see of you in public. Really what God wants and what he desires for us all is to be the same authentic person around our kinfolk as we are around the other folk. Because how you are with the kin is how you typically really are. And that's why kindness comes from this word kin. Where you are with your kin is the way you really are. You may have fooled a lot of people, but you, you can't fool them all. And eventually going to see who you really are. So forgiveness is based upon kindness in your heart. I'm just going to be kind to you. Uh, there have been times in our marriage where Melissa says, has said to me and has broken my heart. She goes, you just mean today. And I've been, there was a, there's been those moments, I'm being just real, where I just was mean. And I said, I'm sorry. And I, just the very thought of being, someone saying I'm mean, broke my heart. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to be mean. I, I, that's, I'm, I'm, I apologize. Will you forgive me? Yes. Just quit being mean. <laughs> All right. Number three, forgiveness is based on assurance. It's based on assurance. Look at this. I, it's not going to make sense, so I'll try to make sense. 
chapter 6, verse 4, <clears throat> he says to her, this is now Solomon, the guy who was just rejected a few maybe moments ago or hours ago or whatever. He, he now has an opportunity to describe his wife to somebody. And here's how he describes his wife, this woman that just rejected him a few little, little bit time before. He says, oh, you are so beautiful, sweetheart. You're as beautiful as Terza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. That's not exactly the words I probably would use. But Terza was a, was a scenic um, place at that time. Terza was a place you would go uh, as like a resort area. It was a place full of good memories and fun times. And, and Jerusalem was, man, it was like New York City of Israel. It's a place you, you, everybody wants to go. It's full of life and streaming with all sorts of history and fun things to do. And so when he's thinking of his wife, he starts thinking about his wife. He's like, oh, man, you are, like, we just have fun together all the time. And you're fun to be with. And, man, you're just, like, like cool, like, like, like Jerusalem. And I just, those memories come back. And then he goes, man, you're like, you're like watching an army, you know, going through its, you know, maneuvers uh, uh, on the parade um, field, and, and you're like so honorable and so full of majesty and powerful and so dignified. I, oh, you're just amazing. This is what he says about this woman that just said, uh-uh, I'm too tired. Wow. See, he didn't get the bait. He didn't bite the bait, which leads us to number four. Forgiveness is not manipulative. It's not manipulative. Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 5. She sees what she's done. She goes, she finds him, and she wraps her arms around him, and she gives him one of those uh, gone with the wind stares. <laughs> and he's looking down, and he says to her, what any man would say at that moment, turn your eyes from me. You overwhelm me. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> she just gave me the green light. Come on, somebody. She's looking at me. I, I see what's going on. He goes, turn your eyes from me. I can't stand looking at you anymore. What is this? Well, can I just say, can, can, let me just tell you, let me explain why he said this. Because he wanted her to know that he wasn't expecting nothing. He was forgiving her, and that's it. But sometimes, isn't it true, we forgive someone, and then we t put this little tagline, but that's going to cost you. That's going to... That's going to cost you. I'll forgive you, but that's going to cost you. And you're hoping to get something out of the forgiveness deal. Oh, we're making up, so now I get to get, finally get whatever I wanted to begin with. No, he goes, listen, I want you to know, sweetheart, listen, quit looking at me because you're getting me all excited, and I don't want to get excited right now. I just want you to know I forgive you, and I'm giving you my forgiveness, not because I want anything, but simply because I love you, and I respect you, and I want you to feel honored and dignified and respected by me. So let's just leave it at that. I forgive you, and let's just go on. Do you understand? Yeah. Forgiveness means I'm, I'm giving you a free, out-of-jail card, free 
card, and I don't want nothing back from you in return. Wow. How many times have we used forgiveness as a way of manipulating someone? Well, I'll forgive you if you do this, if you do that. No. Number five, forgiveness holds no record of wrong. Forgiveness holds no record of wrong. <laughs> so he says to her, he's, he's talking about his wife. He says, you know, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 5, when I look at you, your hair <laughs> is like a flock of goats. If I, I promise you, I promise you, if I said that to my wife, <laughs> I would be sleeping on your couch in the, the, that night. She would not look at that as a compliment by any means. <laughs> Sweetheart, your hair this, this evening is stunning. It's like goats coming down from your head from the hillside of Gilead. <sighs> What in the world is he saying? Let me tell you. Why does he say this? Because apparently it meant something to him and them. Maybe something. But this was the same line he used in chapter 5 when they were getting married. When they, they got married, he looked at her and said, Sweetheart, your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> and she went, Really? A flock of goats? Thank you, honey. I love you, too. Now, a chapter later, she rejected him, and he still looks at her and goes, wow, your hair looks like a flock of goats. What does he say? He's saying, I'm not going to remember what you just did to me and how you just hurt me. I still think of you the same now as I did the day we got married. Yeah, you hurt me, but I forgave you, and we're moving on, and we're not going to... Listen, what happens when people get mad at one another, they don't get hysterical, they get historical. And they start pulling out the record book. <laughs> oh, really? Do you remember November 3rd, 2015? 6, 10 p.m.? In that very room, you said, duly noted, I don't like that perfume. You said that. And now you have the right to come, and, and now you're mad because I'm telling you that I don't like that cologne that you're wearing? Uh-huh. Who, who are you? And we start pulling out all these things that they've done wrong. And while they're telling us something that we've done wrong, we're still making a case for what we can come back. We're not even listening to what they're saying to us. We're making a case and pulling out all the files and, 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 how they're, and we're going to begin to name off all the wrongs that they've done. Can I tell you that that is totally ungodly? Gee, gee, when I thank God, I thank God when I come to him and say, God, I, I really ask you to forgive me. He doesn't go, oh, wait a second. Gabriel, bring me the stack of wrongdoings by JP. <laughs> Poof. 
Ah, let's see here, JP. <laughs> oh, according to case 5,690,000. No, he forgives and he forgets. And when you forgive, you must forget. And there have been times, I, come on, I've been tempted and so has my wife to bring up something that we've already talked about and worked through. And we both have come to an agreement. When that comes, we both say to each other, uh-uh, out of bounds, foul. No, you're right, sorry, that was wrong. I shouldn't have brought that up. And, we, and you never can work forward if you're constantly bringing up the past. We'll have a worship team come when we move to our last point together. Here we go. Forgiveness reconciles. Everybody say reconciles. reconciles. Chapter 6, 8, and 9. Solomon is speaking to his wife. He says to her, 60 queens may there be, and 80 concubines, and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, she's unique, the only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The young women saw her. They called her blessed. He, he's just bragging about his wife. And here's what he's basically saying. He's saying, sweetheart, listen. Now remember, she's just rejected him. She just said, I don't want to be intimate with you. I don't want to be close to you right now. He put himself out there. She cut him off. He has an opportunity to be rejected and feel hurt and be offended. Chooses the other way, and he says this. He goes, look, sweetheart, here's the deal. I'm just, I'm just saying the way it is. There are 60 queens I could pick from right now. There's 80 concubines in the palace that I could probably visit at any moment. And there are countless virgins across the land that would love to be married to a man like me. I'm Solomon. I'm, I'm the king. I'm sorry. There, I have a lot of options. You're not my only option. And then he says this. But sweetheart, even though I've got lots of options, I'll not choose anyone but you. Mm. He was just rejected turned down, and yet he still sees his wife as the greatest one of all. Hmm. So what does that look like? It's called being reconciled back together. What does the word reconciled mean? To go back to where we used to be. That's what reconciled means, to go back to where we used to be. Okay, we had a little hiccup here, but we're going to reconcile. We're going to go back to the way we were before this happened. We're going to reconcile. Now, there's a difference between reconcile and conciliate. Conciliate simply means we're just going to be on friendly terms. But we're not going back to where we used to be. We're just going to be cordial. We're going to we're going to be roommates. We're going to be friends, but we're not going to be intimate. 
anymore. God's saying it's time to reconcile. So, use this illustration. Michael has a nice, very nice truck. And so say one day, carelessly, I put the, my vehicle in reverse and I back right into his nice truck and just put a dent and a streak all the way down the side. Michael gets out and he's got a couple options. One option. What in the world? What, what are you thinking, JP? That's, were you just like, what? For crying out loud. Look at this. You know how much damage this is? You know how much this is going to cost me? Do you understand? You know what, JP? I'm taking you to court. This, you're going to pay for every dime. Your, your insurance is going to hear all about this, and you're going to pay for every dime of this. Well, that's one option. Or he could say, which is the definition of conciliate, he could say, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to take you to court, and I'm not going to sue you. I'm not going to charge the insurance. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. But I'm telling you, JP, from this point on, I'm not talking to you anymore. That's called being conciliatory. The relationship has now changed forever. I heard him. He's not going to reciprocate with equal action, but he will choose to make the field different. The relationship will be different now. Conciliatory. But God didn't ask us to be conciliatory towards one another, to still carry the offense, still carry the anger, still carry the, the bitterness and the resentment, and it's actually growing as every day goes by. But instead he says, I charge you to reconcile with one another. In fact, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so God is asking us to do what reconciliation would be, where Michael comes out from around the truck, he looks at me, and I'm crying. I'm so sorry, Michael. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he puts his arm around me, and he goes, hey, bud, look, we're friends. We're going to figure this out. It's no big deal. But let's don't let a piece of metal come between us here. This is more important than that there. We'll figure that out. But this is primary. Don't let the stuff come between you and the person that God put you with. It's stuff. It's situations, things. This is primary. Come on. And God will give you the ability to walk that out because he lives in you. Finally, lastly, the Bible says Solomon comes riding. She goes looking for him. She's like, I got to go find my husband. I got I to gotta, I gotta get things right. And, and, and I just want to spend some time with him. I just, get, I just love him so much. And so she's running down to where she thinks he is in the field. But instead, he intercepts her in the process drives up in his 57 Chevy chariot. <laughs> She's like, oh, honey, what are you doing in this Chevy chariot? He goes, I saw you running down to the field. He said, hop on in. 
We'll go by KSC and head on down to the creek. <laughs> Spend a little time together. She just rejected him not too long before. Now he's swooping her up off of her feet, sticking her in, her, in his chariot, and away they go. They're going down, and everything's fine, and she's all over him, and he's all over her. They're just going to have a picnic, and, the, and the, they're, her friend's like, hey, hey, and they're yelling out. It's in the Bible, chapter 6, verse 13. Come back, come back, oh Shulamite. Come back so we can gaze upon you. What's going on? This is important right here. This is good. You watch this. So the word Solomon in the Hebrew is the word Shulam. It's the masculine form or masculine word for Solomon. Solomon, Shulam. The feminine word for Solomon is the word Shulamite. He was married to a Shulamite. He was married to a woman who basically became one with him and him with her. And so as they're driving down the road in their chariots and people looking at them, they're looking at, is that Solomon or is that Shulamite? Is that, is that Joe or Judy? Is that Harry or Harriet? Is that, is that Frida or Fred? They look like together. I don't, can't tell the difference. They're, they're like one. Is that Christ or is that a Christian? Is that, what is that that I see? It's called love. So many opportunities to be crossways and mad and angry and see the vile and the worst in each other, but instead choosing the high road and forgiving and reconciling and coming together. And that's why the enemy hates beautiful marriages. Because every time a husband and a wife or spouses rise up and say, I choose to forgive and love you despite what you just did or how I feel you just treated me or said to me, every time that happens, God shows up in the earth. Come on. And every time that happens, uh, people look at you and go, what, that, what is that? That's nothing but God. That's a God, a picture of God in the earth right in my midst. I'm looking at God. I'm looking at God. You think Satan wants people to see God? So he'll put all these things in your marriage and drive all these wedges right in between your relationship. And you're going to have so many opportunities to grab the bait, so many opportunities to get angry, upset, and revile against them and think of the negative about them. You'll have many opportunities. We all do. But somebody called a Christian will rise up and go, you know what? Come on, sweet goat hair lady friend. Come on. You beautiful. Just as beautiful now as you were when I married you. Oh, I forgive you. And then let's let the past be the past. And let's go on and walk in the purpose and the favor of God. Amen. Amen. Can we all stand to our feet this morning? I, I want to say a prayer, and then we're going to just worship the Lord for a few minutes. And Father God, we just, we thank you that you give us an opportunity to surrender our lives every single day. And you use relationships, Lord God, to just really break us and to, and to cause us to see 
Lord, our weakness. And so, Father God, today we thank you that you are causing us to rise up and, and to become like you, Lord, and to act like you and talk like you and walk like you and giving us opportunities to forgive. And thank you, Lord God, that the love inside of us is bigger than the rejection around us. Lord, we choose today to surrender. We choose today to surrender and to become holy and loving just as you are in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, God. Here we are, Father God. Yes, God. Break us, Father God. Make us like you, Lord Jesus. God, we just submit ourselves to you this morning. We thank you that you are hearing our cry to become broken. And you many times use people to do that. But we're thankful that you break us gracefully. You break us gracefully. And so, Father, we do surrender to you today. There are some relationships, Lord God, here this morning that they need you to breathe upon that relationship. Father, I pray that there will be a fresh cry within all of us just to die to ourselves and die to our flesh and to use someone, Lord, else to be that tool to cause us to die. Forgive us for always trying to champion our cause and our rights. We surrender. We surrender to you. And help us to love our spouse, our mates, in such a way that the whole world can see you in our lives. We're thankful for that. We praise you for that. In Jesus' mighty and glorious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to visit us online at summitchurch.tv or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at summitchurch.tv.